Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Jacinta Delhaze and Dr. Daniel Kanema. Each episode, we will be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies. Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do, and the fascinating discoveries we make. Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies. Hello, welcome to episode 33. Today we'll be talking about something adjacent to astronomy, which is space science. Yeah, so I mean, we're exploring other planets. So it's kind of astronomy, but um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, astronomy is technically, uh, well, using telescopes and observing the universe, whereas now we're talking about space exploration. So what exciting event is happening and why is this episode potentially coming out earlier than we usually release? Because I'm psyched. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the 18th of February this year, the NASA Mars rover, the new one, Perseverance, will be landing on the red planet. On Mars. On Mars, yeah. So it was launched in July last year uh, and it's done its seven-month trip to Mars and it will be careering through the atmosphere of Mars at a very high high speed and opening a parachute, slowing itself down. You know, it's got a heat shield first, which slows it down a bit. Then the parachute opens once it's reached a sort of lower altitude, and that sort of brings it slower and slower towards the surface. And then the crazy part happens, which is the sky crane kind of stops a few meters above the ground like with little jets and hovers above the surface and then on little cables lowers the rover down very gently onto the surface of what? Mars. What? That's so cool. Right? And then like releases the cables, the sky crane flies up and off and goes crashes somewhere out of the way and you're left with a rover. Wow. Li- lying on like completely untouched Martian surface. <laughs> Can you believe it? Like, and the, the 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 most amazing part is they've done this before. They did it with the last rover, and it worked. Curiosity. Yes, and it worked then, and it's going to work. Well, we hope it's going to work <laughs> again. But like, the the technology is proven already. Wow. Like, this isn't some harebrained idea. So, but, curiosity. When did that reach Mars? So that was 2012, and also using the sky crane, and okay. it's still working. I mean, yeah. it's it's in a little bit of disrepair like some of its wheels are broken and things but i mean it's been going you know almost 10 years curiosity made quite a few discoveries on mars right yeah i think some of the ones i recall are it discovered that there was once liquid water on mars Uh, there was evidence of liquid water and then it was looking for whether mars would be habitable at some point i think this was its primary goal yeah, I think it found that the chemistry on Mars can technically support living microbes. It's got sulfur, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, carbon, things like this, key ingredients for life. And then Perseverance is taking the next step, which is looking for life. So its its task is to basically look and see if it can find evidence of life or past life. Uh, and then, you know, some of the ingredients of life. And also do some more work on preparing for humans to land on Mars. So, you know, whether it's suitable for creating oxygen, whether some of these things are possible from the soil of Mars that are going to be required to sustain a Mars base. Wow, Uh, so cool. So I play a board game called Terraforming Mars, which I'm obsessed with. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) And how's your Mars looking? Is it terraformed? Yeah, I'm really good at it. I terraform all the time. But uh, is, is this something that is the intention for the future? 
Is this science fiction or pseudoscience or? Yeah, I'm afraid uh, terraforming Mars uh, does fall into the realm of science fiction, <laughs> um, <laughs> even if it's fun on your iPad. But yeah, so, you know, Elon Musk spoke about terraforming Mars, but the thing is that to build up that amount of of gas and atmosphere on Mars would take millions, hundreds of millions of years. And, you know, that's just not something which is possible. We can't ship air there. And trying to generate it from the soil uh, would require massive amounts of energy. So there is a small atmosphere on Mars. It's not going to be breathable for human beings. Any sort of colony will be will have to be sort of self-sustaining and, you know, you'll, you'll need your own oxygen and things. We might be able to generate that oxygen on Mars from the ground or, you know, from the, the water that we can find there. And, and then we can at least sustain the life so we don't have to ship absolutely everything we need there. Mm. But no, we're not going to be terraforming Mars <laughs> anytime soon other, right. other than in your game. Well, I'll keep playing my game and for interest, each round is called a generation because it's going to take generations of humans to do it. But sounds like you're, you're saying it will take even longer than that. How many generations are you up to? I mean, sometimes it's like 14 generations. <laughs> <laughs> so what's that? Like, I don't know. What's 14 generations? A few hundred years. No, we're going to need longer than that. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> I also followed a lot of the the happenings of curiosity on the sarcastic rover Twitter <laughs> handle. Did you have you seen that? I have, and there's a new one too. For <laughs> Who the, is there? For Percy the Percy the Marslander, and he's also. Um, Do you know what the handle is? We can share it on the. Okay, thing. we'll put it on the um, blog. Yeah, I, d- I don't know it offhand. But yeah, I mean, I think that jokes aside, like, I think it's, it's a, an incredible instrument. You know, the thing is the size of a car. It's a, it's a one ton rover. So we're not talking about a, a small sort of remote control vehicle. It's, it's a full, fully fledged big vehicle. And then arguably <laughs> the coolest thing about perseverance for me, at least, is there's a flipping helicopter on it. <laughs> what? <laughs> there is a helicopter on perseverance. So there's a little helicopter, which, is solar powered and can fly off perseverance, go off for like a couple of hundred meters. I'm not sure exactly how far it can go, but like a couple of hundred meters and then come back and take photos. And the idea is that it can, you know, map out the path for perseverance to then drive. So it can look ahead and say, oh, you know, there's a bit of a cliff there. Don't go that way. But I mean, that's a sort of technical requirement. But come on, I mean, they're going to fly a helicopter in the Martian atmosphere, which is like 4%, I think, of Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, I was going to say, is there enough gases for it to be able to fly? So, I mean, obviously, because I'm a massive space geek, (laughs) not just astronomy, like I've seen like some of the development of this. And basically what they, like, it's got very, very angled wings or propellers that are moving very, very fast. So it can get enough lift. Um, and then obviously the thing is very light, like it's basically a camera with some wire legs to try and get enough lift out of such a low density atmosphere. And then obviously to test it, they build a big vacuum chamber and they fly <gasps> this thing in that. Cool. I know, right? Like, <laughs> that, I mean, the, the stuff that people dream and then do, this has obviously been in development for a long time, decade probably. Very, very cool. So cool. We will hopefully we'll know a lot more about the composition and status of Mars after this. South Africa has had some involvement in this too, right? Yeah, so uh, South Africa has had some involvement in the launch. We've had a history of involvement in in NASA projects, basically running ground stations to communicate with NASA missions. 
And today we're joined by Mr. Tian Stradham, who is the Business Development Manager at SANSA, which is the South African National Space Agency. In case you didn't know, we do have a space agency. We don't launch astronauts, but we've got a space agency that has various mandates uh, in space. And Tian will be telling us a little bit about what they do at SANSA and their involvement in Mars exploration. And in the Perseverance yeah. rover. All right, let's hear from Tian. So today we're joined by Mr. Tian Stradham, who is the Business Development Manager at SANSA, the South African National Space Agency. Tian, welcome to the Cosmic Savannah. Cool. Thank you. Hi, Tian. Could you tell us a little bit more about what SANSA is and what it does? Okay. SANSA is a South African National Space Agency. Uh, a lot of countries have space agencies that's looking after the interest of space for the country. One of the mandates or main drivers for the South African National Space Agency is to improve the life of the people of South Africa. The South African National Space Agency have four directorates. Ourselves, that's looking after space operations. Then we've got an Earth Observation Department that's looking after images from space. Then we've got space engineering, building spacecraft and so forth. And then we've got a directorate responsible for space science that's more looking after the science and space weather. Where we are situated, um, space operations, we're responsible for launches, transfer orbits, these kind of operations, satellite support, um, routine maintenance of satellites, and so forth. So we basically are the guys that's controlling the, the spacecraft from the Harkusuk facility. In terms of controlling them, does this mean you're controlling just the South African satellites, uh, or are you communicating with other satellites uh, around the world? I mean, from around the world? Mainly, we will be the main operator and controller for all South African satellites. But also, we have commercial contracts with companies like Intelsat, SpaceX, the NASA's, those kind of guys. Because of the Earth being around, they don't have full visibility when that spacecraft is orbiting the Earth. And when it's in the southern hemisphere, it's basically being handed over to us. And we do the relay of telecommands as well as telemetry of those spacecraft. So we're basically in control of that spacecraft for the 15 minutes it's flying over South African footprint. So what's your role within SANSA? I started off in the in more on the technical engineering side, but moved into the business development. So as I mentioned, South Africa don't have a lot of spacecraft to control ourselves, but we've got a great footprint on the on the continent. So my major purpose is to see where we can assist other space agency as well as commercial operators, specifically like Mars 2020 and these kind of missions. It's for us to basically make sure that NASA is aware of this facility and then to get commercial contracts in place to support their spacecraft. So that's my main responsibility is to look after the business for space operations, make sure that we generate income and make sure that that we put South Africa on the space scene out there. So um, although not a lot of people know about SANSA locally, we are very well represented overseas and regarded as one of the best ground stations on the globe. Awesome. How many satellites does South Africa have itself? Well, since 1994, South Africa has launched about four spacecraft. The big spacecraft that's in the order of 50 kilograms and heavier is not operational anymore, but we've got two CubeSats that's currently operational. And these are doing what exactly? The CubeSats are basically used by especially universities and so forth, is to build human capability. 
So the University of Stellenbosch and the University of UCT have both a big interest in developing space capabilities. And they build this spacecraft. So it's quite a small spacecraft, about 10 by 10 centimeters. They launch and most of these spacecraft do Earth observation. But it's basically the main purpose is to make sure that we get our youngsters involved in space activities. Wow, that's so cool. So you're helping some young people here launch stuff into space. That's it. You know, South Africa as a space agency is basically responsible for the funding from the Department of Science and Innovation as well. So it's quite exciting whenever whenever they approve a a CubeSat and it gets handed to a a university, you know, it just creates a a bit of excitement in that university because they will be able to, to launch something to space. The thing is why it's so, so cool to work with the, with the CubeSat specifically is because from time of design, the actual launch can be in order of about two years. And that's quite quick in the space environment where typically if you work with bigger spacecraft from design up to launch can be between five to seven years. That makes it interesting for, for students because at least when they start, they can see the end result. Otherwise, you will lose a lot of students that actually started with the design but will never see the launch. And that's why the CubeSats are quite interesting for universities. Speaking of uh, big space projects, we're all very excited at the moment about the the landing of the NASA Perseverance rover, which is landing on the 18th of February this year. I believe SANSA's played a role in that, in the, in the launch and, and going forward. Can you tell us what this role's been? To say we played a role, yes, we played a role, but it was a little bit of a downgraded role, if I can put it in the end. We were supposed to support the spacecraft. At launch, it was known as Mars 2020. That includes the the Perseverance rover, as well as the helicopter that's on board. But we were contracted, if the orbit was not nominal, we would have supported the the mission, the non-nominal orbit. So, you know, we did all our readiness tests, we did all our data flows and so forth. In the end, the launch went well. So we were only used for about 15 minutes just to make sure that everything is good. And they said, thank you very much. And that's (laughs) over and done for you guys. So we didn't play as big a role as we would have liked. In the end, it worked out better for them. Otherwise, uh, you know, the mission would not have been so successful and would have only landed 45 days later than what it's supposed to do now. What does nominal mean? Nominal means that when the the, the spacecraft get launched, the launch um, vehicle or the rocket, it takes about 30 minutes and it has an exact insertion point. That insertion point is basically the, the dedicated orbit from where they would start doing the burns. So when an orbit is nominal, it means that the launch was done and the insertion point was in around about two kilometers of where it was supposed to be inserted into orbit. So that means it's nominal and they can, they can operate the program going forward according to their flight plan. Normally, if there's a little bit of a deviation with the launch vehicle, sometimes they get higher upper winds, stuff like that. A lot of the time, people don't know about it, but it takes an extra couple of days because you have to do a lot more burns on the spacecraft to get it into, into the exact orbit. So there's about, could be anything between a week and four weeks, extra work that needs to go into that mission to actually get it into the, the correct orbit. So in this case, the nominal orbit was, it was inserted into the correct point and uh, we didn't get to do our extra two or four weeks of work. (laughs) Okay, so everything went really well, so they didn't need the South Africans' help as much as they might have. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But it's cool that we were all lined up to help out NASA. Yeah, it is. It's quite cool to get your name out there with all these big names. You know, the, the, the NASA guys are nowadays, are the guys going to Moon, Mars and beyond, you know, so it's exciting missions. Although there's a lot of other people that's doing a lot of good work out there, everybody tends to, to know about the bigger 
missions that that's going up on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this isn't the first time that we've been working with NASA, though. We the South Africa was involved in the moon landings, was it not? Yes, it's actually quite interesting. We started off in 1954, really, as one of the NASA sites again because they they need visibility all around the globe. They have these different sites in corners of the world, and the Harpies Hook site was actually one of their prime sites because when they launched from the anywhere from Vandenberg to Kennedy Space Center. They try to stick to the equator, and then it comes a little bit south. The, the rocket flies a little bit more south, and normally the separation of a spacecraft takes place over South African footprint. So that's why the site is quite crucial. It's that separation between the satellite and the launch vehicle, and that's quite critical because that's the moment when a satellite needs to run on its own power system and own guidance and so forth. Yeah, we started off in '54. Uh, we were involved in the Apollo program, the Mercury program. And since then, we have this relationship with NASA. One of the last cool missions we also been involved with was Curiosity. We did the Curiosity support as, as well, very similar to to Mars twenty twenty or Perseverance. So yeah, it's, it's it's quite exciting to work with them. So I guess space launches have to be a very international endeavor because different parts of the world can see and contact the spacecraft at different times. Yes, it is. It's quite. Funny how space agencies work together. You know, I always joke about it to say that up until now recently when Elon Musk started doing the human flights with Dragon, the, the US was totally dependent on the Russians to get people to the International Space Station, you know, and where politically they're not getting along. In the space environment, everybody has to work together to make these missions uh, successful. Yeah, so it's quite an interesting market, you know, to see how people work together. Something typical that's a very good example is the International Space Station. Although it's operated by the US, there's almost more resources on board that comes from Russia and and Europe than what it is actually is American. Yeah, it's one of the things we always like to talk about with astronomy. I mean, astronomy is very similar. Uh, all of the projects are very international. Astronomers have these international collaborations, and we need to work with others, particularly these days with large projects like the SKA. They they have to be multinational. The science is great for that. Exactly. You know, so so it's like you say, something like the SKA. You know, if you look at all the partners in the SKA, it's it's, it's just amazing. And the same for for space. If you, if you look at this program, for, for instance, a lot of people know about it. Again, it's NASA, but just um, as interesting as this project, uh, it was another project we were involved in that was almost a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago, with the Indian Space Agency that landed the Chandran 2 mission on the surface of the moon. You know, so it just shows you that even, even the smaller nations, because of the exposure, you know, and working with the bigger nations, have the capability to have these exciting scientific programs. The other thing which uh, we saw last year was that SANS has recently entered into another agreement with NASA to host a deep space station. Where is that going to be based and, and what's it going to do? We currently, I'm actually having a, a teleconf with them this afternoon, so it's early stages. But the, the main idea is to have a deep space site close to the town of Mikesfontein in the Western Cape. The reason why it's specifically Mikesfontein or with earmark Mikesfontein is because of the almost desert-like climate condition. As you know, access to space nowadays, everybody's going higher frequency bands to get more data through. The frequency band that they plan to use is quite high. So we need to have a very rugged environment where we don't have a huge amount of cloud cover. Similar to what you have when there's a storm moving past and you have your DSTV starting to make these blocks and the voice breaking up and so forth. The same we do with communication to satellites. And if you're going high frequency bands, the more sensitive you are 
to cloud cover and so forth. So that's why we, we earmarked Mikey Fontaine. There's good infrastructure in the area regarding power, communications, and so forth, access. And then the climate conditions. I think Mike is Fontaine, they're sitting with an average of around about 20 days of cloud cover per year. That's quite good. I think it's one of the best places in South Africa if you want to operate in KA band. That's the reason for the site. But the, the purpose of the site is, as you know, NASA and everybody's looking at the moon, the Mars, and beyond. Elon Musk got his idea of having this colony on Mars and NASA's looking at the, the Artemis program, sending the next human to the moon again. So to get to all these destinations and, and see further into space, we need to go higher in, in frequency band and higher in antennas. The problem is that there's only three deep space sites around the globe. And to complement that and to have a continuous 24-hour visibility of Mars and the moon, NASA is looking for alternative sites. And South Africa being in the Southern Hemisphere and not having any other deep space capability from Africa, it just makes sense that we have uh, a deep space site somewhere in the Southern tip of, of Africa. So um, basically that's why the, the big decision is currently to put a site into, into Microsfontein. If you go to Europe, you have one. If you go to South America or Australia, you have deep space sites. But there's nothing on the south tip of Africa that can, that's in the order of 32 meters or bigger apertures. So that's why we're investigating the possibility of putting a site at, at Mike's Fontaine. What benefit will this have for South Africa? Like any kind of science mission, the moment you, you put these big antennas out on the south tip of Africa, the exposure that people will get to scientific missions and so forth, it's also about job creation. And then, you know, getting students and, and tertiary education involved into, into these kind of programs. Where we are, we have a small intern program where we have people coming in that's currently doing their final year as an operator. But just to get that kind of exposure to the high technology, getting a work environment, working with satellite missions. And it's similar for a deep space site. I think it's, it's always great. You know, you, you can tell people about science, but if you haven't experienced it hands-on, you never get that real exposure and the, the excitement that you would like. So if you have a program like this, you know, and you can get universities involved in the science data, because obviously if it's hosted in South Africa, you've got a certain right to the science data, it just makes it exciting. And in, in, in that sense, promoting science and technology in South Africa. Yeah, I think it can only be a good thing for South Africa to be part of this huge global international effort uh, with high, high level science and technology. Yeah, it's awesome. The other thing which we didn't mention about how to be hook uh, was, you know, South Africa is a world leader now in, in radio astronomy and it, we're getting the SKA, we've got Meerkat. And if I'm not mistaken, we got our radio astronomy start at how to be hook, which was the, the old NASA dish, which they handed over to us. Exactly. Yeah. That, well, it's from where I'm sitting around about 2.4 kilometers just down the road. We, we actually on the same site as the Sarao guys. And um, what's quite interesting, even our Mike's Fontaine site that we're planning for is also, again, Sarao already got infrastructure at that facility. And that's basically why we're thinking of building at the Mike's Fontaine site. So it's again about this, the space industry is actually a very small community. You know, we have to stick together. Sometimes we fight for the same funding. Other times we support one another. It's like you said, you know, again, it's it's NASA involvement with the Sarao guys at the Hook site. A very interesting fact is I mentioned the Shandaran mission about the, going to, to the moon the other day. And um, again, we used that NASA antenna from Sarau to basically monitor the, the, the final moments 
of the Chandaran, well, it was supposed to land. It didn't land. It actually had a bit of a, let's call it a hard, hard landing <laughs> on, the, on the moon. But again, we use that same antenna that was originally put here by NASA. We use that same antenna to monitor the Indian impact, moment of impact. Wonderful, Tian. And so do you have any final messages for listeners just before we finish up? Just as a final message, I think people in South Africa, you know, we got so used to social media and all these things that we missed the exciting part about, about space. And I would really love people to tune in to, to see, you know, when perseverance land on, on the surface of, of Mars. I think it's quite exciting. And especially for youngsters, if, if, if you really show an interest into science and technology, you know, space is, is, is the front door, you know, to, to get into science and technology. And we, we need more sci- scientists and engineers in this country. Thank you, Tian. Thank you very much for joining us. Cool. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. Wow, it's awesome to hear how involved South Africa is in space events and uh, launches and all of that sort of thing. I had no idea. Yeah, it's not normally something we focus on. We're normally talking about the astronomy and looking out. We don't normally cover space science here, but cool to see all of the stuff that South Africa is doing. And I think that most people in the public don't necessarily know that we have a space agency. Obviously, we're not sending astronauts or anything to space, but it's great to know that we are in the field and and working closely with NASA and others. I think Nigeria also has a pretty good space agency as well, don't they? They do, yeah. Yeah, I think we spoke to a member from from that in one of our former episodes. Yeah, you know, as Tian said, there's, there's a lot of sort of international involvement in all of these projects. There has to be. And it's just really cool that South Africa is a part of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the Mars rover landing, very exciting. If you're listening to this before it, then you can watch the live stream from Thursday, the 18th of February. The stream starts around 7 p.m. GMT, and the landing should be just before 9 p.m. GMT. I think the the coverage will probably be great, and there'll be a lot of animations and things of what's actually happening. And then hopefully we'll get our first successful signal that Perseverance has landed on Mars successfully. God, that would be exciting, won't it? Oh, I hope so. I hope the landing goes all right. It doesn't sort of crash land and destroy Perseverance. Oh, that would be heartbreaking. Yeah, I think that this is one of the things that makes space and space exploration so exciting is is that there is always this risk <laughs> that it's all <laughs> going to go horribly wrong. And I mean, things do go horribly Yeah, it wrong. has gone wrong in the past, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and Tian mentioned it, you know, the, the Indian lander on the moon, which had a hard impact, <laughs> didn't quite slow down. There have been others which have had similar issues. And then also the, the possibility of things blowing up on, on launch. Although these days, more and more, the launches are much more reliable. SpaceX is leading the way with that at the moment, but other companies have also got a lot better. The, the chances of blowing up on launch is minimal these days. Good. And again, leading the way for the James Webb Space Telescope to be launched, uh, hopefully, what, later this year? Yeah, later this year. So I think it's July. I saw the other day that they were busy shipping it to, to the launch site, which is uh, somewhere in the Caribbean, I think, the northern part of South America. I'm not sure where exactly, Guyana or somewhere. But they were transporting it in complete secret. Really? Because they're scared of pirates. Whoa. If you take the James Webb Space Telescope, which is a $6 billion instrument, and you hold it hostage. It's like then. real life pirates of the Caribbean. Except with a telescope. With a telescope. Whoa. <laughs> No, let's not do that. Okay. So if you hear this, we don't know where it is. No. Don't look. Don't tell anyone. 
<laughs> okay, well, yeah. I mean, enjoy the landing and hope for successful. And we'll we'll post on social media and yeah, and we'll put it. the link to that that live feed also on our blog post. Absolutely. Cool. All right. I guess that's it for today, Dan, right? That's it. Okay. Well, thanks very much for listening and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Cosmic Savannah. As always, you can visit our website, thecosmicsavannah.com. We will have the transcript, links and other stuff related to today's episode. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Cosmic Savannah. And that's Savannah spelled S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H. Special thanks today to Tian Stridham for speaking with us. Thanks to our social media manager, Sumeri Hatting, and all the Cosmic Savannah volunteers. Also to Mark Allnut for music production, Janis Brink and Michal Wercek for photography, and Lana Sarai for the graphic design. We gratefully acknowledge support from the South African National Research Foundation, the South African Astronomical Observatory, and the University of Cape Town Astronomy Department to help keep the podcast running. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to help us out, please rate and review us and recommend us to a friend. We'll speak to you next time on the Cosmic Savannah. So, Curiosity, when did that reach Mars? Ah. <laughs> we Google that. One moment, please. One moment, please. Do you hear music? No. Okay. No. <laughs> Never mind. Oh dear. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they always say it's the first sign of madness, but like, you know, there's been many signs before this. Ah, uh, many, <laughs> many, many. <laughs>